welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way that you see success, purpose, and what it takes to bridge the two. I'm Neha Sampat, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on companies that are places to dream big, build up, and be a good human. I'm CEO of Content Stack and also a certified sommelier. So normally we drink wine here, but sometimes we drink other things too. <laughs> so today is one of those days and we're going to try something really interesting, and we'll tell you about that in a minute. I'm joined by Dr. Debbie Chen, the co-founder and CEO of Hydrostasis, a company developing personalized and actionable hydration monitoring solutions. Today, we're going to talk about the challenges of academia, building a business in the face of bias, and refusing to be pigeonholed. Let's get started. Hi, Debbie. Hello. Welcome. It's so nice to have you here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So on your LinkedIn profile, it says that you're a Muay Thai fighter, and that's probably one of the coolest things I've heard from one of my guests on Dream Makers, but I'm not sure that I fully know what that is. I know it's not jazzercise from the prep that you did with my team. <laughs> Tell us what that is and how you picked up that hobby. Yeah. Yeah. So the story was that I, I actually thought it was jazzercise. <laughs> I didn't actually know what I was getting myself into. Muay Thai is a traditional martial art originating from Thailand. So it's very similar to kickboxing, but it's also not just punches and kicks, but you also get to do knees and elbows. Um, so I call it beautiful violence, if you will. It's very, <laughs> the technique is very beautiful. And if you do it right, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Fighting and dancing kind of combined. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, martial art is an art, right? So there's a lot of uh, sort of technique to it and, and, and discipline and kind of knowing your, your body, right? Every dancer is different, you know, and, and how your body moves. It's the same thing uh, with, with martial arts. And so understanding your body and, and your strengths and, and, you know, what you need to work on and all this stuff, it's, it's just never ending for me that, you know, the fascination with, you know, how you can continue to get better every day. And really it just, you know, meshed into my founder journey. So it's actually really cool. That's really cool. We're going to talk more about that in a little yeah. bit. And um, I'm super inspired to hear more about it. So what we're drinking today is Sanzo sparkling water. I sound like I'm like an infomercial or something. I swear <laughs> yeah. you're not paying me for this. I was just looking for something kind of interesting. And um, what I like about this brand is that they're pairing Asian flavors with a modern taste and it's still yeah. like zero added sugar. And so you get like you know, the benefit of having the sparkling water, but with some interesting flavors. So this is a lychee flavored sparkling water. They also have mango and calamansi, which is like a type of wine. So they say it's made with real fruit. You're supposed to serve it chilled. Mmm, that's good. It tastes like you're like having a lychee, but it's like with yeah. carbonation. Yeah, it tastes very um, like Asian in, in like... <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. You know what I mean? I do. It, like people don't uh, eat a lot. Uh, lychee or lychee? I don't know. I've heard it both ways. But. In Chinese, it's lychee. But I think in, in English, most people say lychee, but I'm not sure. <laughs> That's an interesting one to look up later. But, you know, in India, it's really a popular fruit. Mm. And it is also mm -hmm. in China and other parts of Asia and not as well right. known here. So kind of a delicacy yeah. and a lot of fun. I love it. Awesome. So let's jump into your background. Tell me a little bit more about you and kind of your journey. So you have a PhD in biomedical engineering and started off in academia. So tell us about what you were doing. And then my understanding is that wasn't your, you know, academia wasn't your favorite thing. Tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah. So I, I sort of grew up thinking that like, you know, science was truth, right. And, and um, I wanted to be 
you know, uh, adding to the knowledge base of, of, of humankind or, you know, th these like really lofty, you know, goals. And I thought that was, that was what I wanted to do. And, and hence I, I, uh, did a PhD and of course, biomedical engineering was fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, so my, my PhD was at Tufts university. Um, I was studying, um, near infrared spectroscopy, the, the technology that hydrostasis is using, uh, but on a different application. So we were developing a diagnostic for, um, uh, peripheral neuropathy. Um, and so we, we thought that, hey, maybe we could tell before the nerve uh, is damaged um, that, you know, there is a, a change in the blood flow uh, surrounding the nerve. So that's what I, I did for my thesis. A lot of diabetics get peripheral neuropathy, which is sort of uh, tingling. They call it like gloves and socks syndrome a little bit because the hands and feet get tingly. So I, I graduated in 2010, and it wasn't a great time to find a job. Um, and so, you know, I, I've always kind of wanted to work for startup, but, you know, just, yeah, didn't know where to start, to be honest. Um, and I ended up doing a postdoc. I came back to San Diego. So I did my undergrad at UCSD, also in biomedical engineering. Um, and I did a postdoc in, in uh, um, the Department of Pathology at um, UCSD Medical School. Uh, and then I ended up doing another postdoc, uh, this time at um, um, Scripps Oceanography. So my background has been very sort of um, broad and, um, you know, come to realize like I'm more of a generalist than a sort of one you know, very deep understanding of one um, piece of the science. And so I think the the issue there is that if you're going to go into academia, you know, as a uh, professor, or, you know, PI, you have to be very focused on the one thing that you're studying. Uh, and I was just like, I follow what I uh, find interesting, the projects that I find interesting, and most of them are high risk, high reward projects. <laughs> Turns yeah. out that it's, it's perfect, uh, you know, fit for, for a startup founder, but, um, yeah, so these are the types of projects that I've been doing, but really all along, I'm kind of building these different data, uh, data sets. I'm building these, uh, skill sets, um, that, that will help me, uh, eventually in, in, you know, in my startup life. Around that time, you also became a new mom and, you kind of experienced that world yeah. wasn't super empathetic towards moms. What was that like? After I came back in my building, there was not a nursing room. So I had to hike to the next building over. And if you've tried to pump at, at uh, an office before, it's like, you know, every th three hours. And if I have to hike 15 minutes to get mm. to the room and then pump for another 20 minutes or 30 minutes and then come back for 15 minutes and work for an hour. And then by that time, it's already been three hours and then I have to hike again. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't get much work done, um, you know, after those, uh, those, you know, three months. And then we did three months maternity and then I had three months left of um, my contract. And so by the, by that time it was like, oh, well, you didn't get much work done. So we're not going to um, uh, extend your, your uh, contract. So, you know, and I, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine, I guess, you know, so it's just, it wasn't the, the most supportive uh, place, to be honest, um, you know, and, and I think that's just in general academia, you know, maybe it's starting to change a little bit uh, for the better now, um, hopefully, uh, but when I was there, and, and also, you know, engineering is, is uh, mostly male.
I think it was very similar in like the early earlier days in tech companies too, because it was pretty male dominated. And I just remember yeah. like I worked at a couple large companies where you'd have to go four buildings over to find a place yeah. that had a, a, a mom's room. And yeah. it was just insane, same experience, like really not conducive to being productive and and it just felt like so unfair to see that happening. Yeah. Okay. So let's revisit Muay Thai. Is that, no, Muay Thai? Is that? Yeah, Muay Thai. No? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that training was kind of just what you needed at that point in time. And you said something in the pre-interview that was interesting. You said that fighting helped you defend yourself both on and off the mat. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So I think as like an Asian female, you're kind of like taught to be agreeable and respectful and not standing up for yourself and, you know, stuff like that. Of course, there's exceptions. We, we do know some, some females that, that are super, you know, kicking ass and stuff like that, but that was not how I was raised. Also at that point I was unemployed. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to look for a gym and, you know, I wanted to get back in shape and uh, I didn't know how much I needed it to be honest on the mental side, uh, the mental toughness side. Um, because, you know, it's, it's a combat sport. Like people will hit you in the face. (laughs) I mean, they're your friends. They're trying not to kill you, but, uh, they will hit you in the face and how are you going to react to that? And so, um, the way that I did it was I just cried every single time. Uh, I got hit for like six months and it got to the point where, you know, some of my friends were like, you know, I, I don't know, is this really for you? You know, uh, and pretty soon I, I realized like, oh, I can hit back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's a decision that you can make, right? You realize, oh, somebody's going to hit me and I'm not going to shrivel up and die. I'm going to stand back up and I'm going to hit them back. Mm -hmm. Right. So these are the types of experiences that you also experience as, as a founder and also the the day to day, right? Like you, you, every day you wake up, you're like, I don't want to go to the gym. Right. My body is sore. Uh, yesterday sucked, you know, and, um, but you go and you just get better every single day. Mm -hmm. And that really is also the founder journey. For sure. Yeah. I always think about like the hardest thing is showing up. And, in a, you know, that that's true of like, if you're in a exercise regime or trying to like play up, play your game up, it's also true with, um, with just yeah. running a company or being an entrepreneur or being a founder, like just the constant yeah. fight of like, just get out of bed and show yeah. up and like, and face it. Yeah. And I think once I started fighting, so I actually, you know, competed in the ring and that was a whole nother level of scary, um, <laughs> But I realized uh, that, you know, it was, it's all about self-confidence, right? Like if you go into the ring and you're like, okay, I'm not going to win, you're not going to (laughs) win, you know? And it's the same thing with the startup. Like you have to have just like the most unpenetrable self-confidence and, you know, as female founders, it's difficult, right? To have that like positivity and, you know, mental state of like, I, this is worth it. You know, the thing that I'm doing is going to better the world. And no matter what comes at me and the whole system's not built for me and that's okay. And all the biases, implicit and explicit, you know, um, I'm going to just do the best I can. And and that's all you can do. uh, For sure. Show up every day. And I always, I always think about um, the importance of expecting to win in, in the founder journey, because if you don't, then what's, what's the point, like show up and expect to win and you're going to fail and you're going to be rejected and you just have to get back up and back in the, back in the ring, so to speak. Yeah. So, exactly. <laughs> so that takes us to Hydrostasis, the company you founded. 
And it sounds like you kind of combined your world of science and business and then now fitness. Can you explain, like, how did you come up with that concept? Yeah, it was all through, you know, my personal experiences with um, hydration. Um, so when I started training, you know, I realized like I cramp all the time, right? Like I didn't know how to hydrate myself. And, you know, I hear all these things like drink eight glasses of water. I was like, okay, but that doesn't mean anything if I'm going to the gym for like two hours. Right. Um, and so then I'm like, oh, my buddy over here is like 250 pounds. Like, do they also need the same amount of water? And I quickly realized that, you know, it needs to be personalized, right? Like if I'm a, you know, elite athlete versus a couch potato versus a marathoner versus a 250 pound football NFL player, like we're all going to need very different amounts of hydration. And what is that? And nobody knows, literally nobody knows. And it's like, I try to go out and buy these products. Right. And it didn't exist. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, you know, what, maybe I could, maybe I could do it. Right. And, and so I, I thought about the, uh, the, the signals that we were looking at, you know, when I was doing my thesis and one of the signals that we did see was, was the hydration signal, the water signal, uh, in the, in the, uh, spectrum in the near infrared spectrum. And we actually tried to avoid that, uh, signal because it was, it was, uh, not what we were interested in. So we actually used that as like, okay, that's noise. We don't want to look at it. So we wanted to focus on whatever else we were looking mm -hmm. at. And I was like, oh, I wonder if we could just focus on that, right? Um, and so, yeah, it was really kind of all of these pieces of my life coming together. And, and then also quickly, I realized, you know, uh, my background is biomedical engineering, and there's a huge need in the clinic. Uh, I experienced it when I was pregnant, and everybody's like, drink more water. And I almost fainted and fell down a flight of stairs. And I'm like, this is super, super dangerous. <laughs> like, why can't I know uh, before I get lightheaded and low blood pressure that, you know, I, I needed more water, right? And and I didn't know. And so, you know, that, that's, that really kickstarted the interest in the clinical path for me. Yeah. What an inspiration, right? Just going through that journey yourself. Where do you think the product is in terms of product viability now? Yeah. So we've actually proven that it works. We've proven that it works on the bicep and the wrist now. Um, and the reason why we, first of all, we kind of avoided the wrist because the wrist is a very noisy uh, place for a wearable, but uh, you know, that's really where everybody is, is, is used to uh, wearing devices. Uh, and, and also we had all these uh, smartwatch uh, manufacturers, you know, come coming to us and asking us for, for these solutions. So they really are excited for sort of the next big bio insight, right? Everybody has uh, steps and heart rate and, and, and you know, uh, pulse oximeters and all the fancy stuff. And what is next, right? And so we're really sort of riding on this healthcare at the wrist, right? And so we have all of these bio, uh, bio insights and we really feel like hydration is the next uh, big bio insight. Um, so yeah, right now we're, we're evaluating uh, our sensor systems and our algorithms with um, some of these top tier smartwatch manufacturers. Hoping to get it out into uh, you know uh, some some well-known um, uh, smartwatch brands by the end of 2023. That's awesome. What yeah. what do you think is your ultimate goal for hydrostasis? I think what I would like to do for hydrostasis is really make this technology um, impactful and available for for all. 
right? And by all, I mean, you know, the consumer use case, the clinical use case, uh, and even in sort of the philanthropic world where, you know, uh, a lot of these non, uh, nonprofits are building wells, right, in, in areas mm -hmm. where there's no access to water. And you think like, yeah, if you tell them you need more water, they're going to be like, no, duh, <laughs> like, right? Uh, and that's not helpful. But uh, we've talked to a few of them and um, they actually said, you know, it's actually quite helpful because once we build that well, people are not understanding how much water they need to really be well, right? So to, to bring that health and wellness to these communities. Mm -hmm. So we really see the, the, the wide gamut, you know, of uh, impact that hydration uh, can, can have, right? Because really like water is life. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's the, you know, biggest part of our, our human bodies and, um, you know, so if we can make it accessible and understandable and build these better hydration habits, um, we can actually sort of prevent a lot of um, early onset chronic diseases, and especially our elderly, our, our elderly, whether it's with dementia or any other things that they're dealing with, um, you know, the thirst mechanism also starts to, to fade when you when you age. And so if you're not feeling thirsty, you know, you're not going to want to drink water, right? Mm -hmm. Unless somebody else like a physician or a caretaker or a device is telling you, hey, you should drink some more water. And so that's kind of, um, you know, where we think we, we would make a big impact as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I have the Apple Watch and it reminds me to stand up. And in the same way, if it told me to drink a glass of water, I'd just do it because it's the right thing. <laughs> and, but sometimes you yeah. just need that push. Yeah, like right now, the, all the watches are, are sort of reminders, or you tell it how much you've drink, you drink, it, so yeah. it keeps track. Um, or, um, you know, you have these like smart water bottles that, that kind of blink mm -hmm. or, or keep track or whatever, right? But there's nothing out there that really measures hydration in the body mm -hmm. and tells you what your body is doing in real time. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of the missing and the, piece. And the personalization of that, not just a, yes. like, not just a generic count, but exactly. specifically to yeah. you. So let's dig into the process of building your business. Of course, it's never an easy journey, but it wasn't an easy journey for you either. And you said you started <laughs> from zero um, as sort of an outsider to fundraising. What has that process been like for you? It's just been a challenge, you know, there's unconscious and, and very conscious biases that I've seen and the lack of examples and the lack of investors that, that are in this space. So a lot of times the sort of life science folks are, are mostly male on the investor side and well, investors across the board are mostly male, but especially on the deep tech and, and, and the life science sectors. And so it's something that we're continuing to work with. I work with several groups of female-focused investors. And, and as a founder's perspective, I'm trying to help build that side of the table as well. So yeah, that's pretty much all, all we can do, right? We got to start somewhere and you got to just keep going, I guess, right? For sure. And like, I remember early in my journey, people used to ask me this all the time and it drove me nuts because it wasn't right for me, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Sure. <laughs> so why wouldn't you just ask your friends and family or people that yeah. you already know to invest yeah. in you? First of all, I didn't go to Stanford MBA or, or Harvard MBA, right? Like that's, you know, if that's a built-in network that, that you have to ask your friends. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, also I think culturally it's, it's very different. Uh, I think 
for me, I was almost hesitant to ask my family straight off the bat just because I wasn't sure that I was going to be successful, right? Like that sounds absurd, right? Because nobody's going to, nobody's sure that they're going to be successful as a startup founder. But I, I think culturally, it's just, it's an extra hurdle um, that you kind of don't ask your family for money. Uh, in fact, you're supposed to give your family money like the other way yeah. around. And it wasn't until I was further along that I, personally was able to ask uh, my family and, and they did end up investing a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, for one, you know, my family didn't, you know, come from the riches. And so there is not that much money, but even then, like I was not comfortable asking them. I totally understand where you're coming from. And it's, it's interesting because as kind of the caretaker gender, <laughs> we feel a sense of responsibility of taking care of people and not imposing anything on them. And then there's just a sense of responsibility of being successful and ensuring that you are on a path to success before put imposing anything on anyone else. So what were some of the alternative sources of funding that you did get access to? So funnily enough, as I was at the gym and working my butt off, um, I, I met some friends at the gym, you know, they were also business owners and, you know, they're also not, you know, high net worth individuals, but they understood um, what it takes to start a business. And I spoke to them about it and they became my first angel investors. Nice. And um, I'm eternally grateful because so what they invested was, first of all, they're not technologists. They, they're not biomedical engineers. They don't understand you know, the, I mean, they definitely understand the need from an athletic perspective, but um, not the technology side. But what they invested in was my work ethic because they saw me working day in, day out at the gym. Right. So I think it's really interesting, um, you know, the, because, you know, as an angel investor, like you invest in the founder. Right. And they didn't even this was like an idea stage at that point. And you know, now I have all data and, and prototypes and a team and all of this stuff. But before I, I had an idea and they invested on my work ethic. Right. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. I think that's a really great lesson. And I just want to kind of under underscore that for our listeners. There's also a part of it that is being comfortable talking about your idea in a, in a setting where it's like a little bit opportunistic. You're with people that maybe have the means to support you, but if you're not talking about it, they'll never know. And it will yeah. never it will never manifest into anything. So some of it is like, I feel like there's a lot of early stage entrepreneurs that hold back and don't want to share their ideas because they're afraid it'll get stolen or, you know, but that's not a thing. Like talk about it because yeah. you never know who you're around and who might be able to actually lend a hand. Yeah. Everybody always says you're always pitching. And I always thought, found that kind of annoying to be like always pitching. What do you mean? But really it is, right? Because as a founder, like it's all encompassing. Uh, you know, you, you, the last thing you think about when, when you go to bed is like, oh, all the things that's going on or, and going right and going wrong. And the first thing you wake up is like, oh yeah, like I have all these meetings. And, um, and so, you know, I think being able to, to speak to anybody, even at the grocery store, like, oh, what do you do? Oh, how, you know, are you hydrating enough? Whatever, right? Is helpful. And you never know who you're going to bump into. You obviously have a lot of passion for this and that it's different when someone pitches with passion. It's like authentic and genuine versus selling. And you're not selling. You're just talking about something you obviously believe in. And I think that comes across a lot differently, too. We had a guest on this show that talked about our duty, and partially that's just as women and women that have taken the leap to transfer the knowledge, meaning that we don't all have to make the same mistakes to have 
an equally difficult path. Um, what are some yeah. of the unsaid things that you learned by just going through this process? And you know, what what would you share with people that are maybe a step behind you? I think the most helpful thing, and and it definitely wasn't overnight for me, and it's a constant work in progress, is self awareness. Um, there's a like a deep need for really understanding yourself and for me it was like why do I respond this way to certain things right maybe it's some sort of childhood traumatic experience or maybe it's something that you've dealt with before those things must annoy you enough about yourself (laughs) that you go ahead and figure out like either you avoid them or you make them better or you figure out like why you act that way um, at least for me, that that made me much more um, relaxed and much more authentic. Mm. Um, because if you show up as yourself, like I'm not your normal founder, and I know that. Um, but if you're comfortable in that, like it shows, right? And it shows as confidence, right? And and especially for diverse founders, every single person has such unique experiences. Like if you're a caretaker from from a young age, that's startup experience, right? Like you can learn so much skill sets from there. You're multitasking, you're thinking about budgets, you're like all of these things that you you didn't put on your resume, right? Um, And so I just think that, you know, the more that you understand about yourself and um, sort of have that sort of innate confidence Mm -hmm. that, you know, I can do this, right? And 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 my question is always like, hey, can somebody else do a better job than me mm-hmm. for my company at this point in time? Right. And if the answer is no, then you, you. should be the leader. It's and your responsibility to be the leader. <laughs> exactly. And and that's better for your company, right? So if you a lot of women think like, oh yeah, I want what's best for the company, right? And not so much like, oh, we must hold on to the ego kind of thing. But what's best for your company is you, right? Your wellness and you need to get sleep and you need to eat, you need to exercise, you need to be well mentally and physically, right? That's what's best for your company. And I I think we take that a lot away from ourselves and our company sometimes like, oh, we have to work ourselves to the bones and we don't need to sleep, you know, and, and that's not good for you or your company. That's really good advice. And I think the follow-on to that is that you're also setting an example for the people that work for you or work oh, with you. And it's yeah. important that they see that you actually are taking care of yourself, right? So yeah. that they feel yeah. like they can as well. Exactly. I had a founder that actually asked a group of women, how do I build the culture that we really don't work 90 hours a week, right? And they're like, well, well right now we have a lot of milestones. We've got to hit these things and, and we have a short timeline. So we're working 80, 90 hours a week. And I'm in my head, I'm like, okay, one, you probably don't have children. <laughs> and two, like they're looking to you to build the culture. So if you're working 90 hours a week and they, this is what they think they're expected, right? And you're probably driving them to burnout and you're probably going to burn out. So you have to live that example in order for your employees to know that that's okay and that's what's expected. Absolutely. So I normally would move into rapid fire. I have one more question for you. It's really just addressing a common theme that you've talked about in your journey and that's that you refuse to be pigeonholed. And maybe not really at first, but eventually in academia, they tried and fundraising, they tried. 
What would you say to our listeners who are experiencing the same thing, not quite being able to be themselves? Yeah, to be honest, it's not something that I like said I refuse to. It's just it didn't work out, you know, like the way I, I tried to mold myself into whatever mold they, they wanted. And like, it was extremely uncomfortable. It wasn't, you know, perhaps values aligned. Uh, I was uncomfortable doing it that way, whether if it was, you know, a, a business model or, or, you know, how to hire my employees or whatever it is. Right. And so I eventually found my own way that I was comfortable with, that I was happy with, and my team is spectacular. And so it's sort of just, again, being self-aware and, and figuring out what works for you and your company, and that makes your employees happy. Um, and, you know, and, and that's that's what it is. Like, would you, my question to myself always is like, if I had a hard day, it's like, would you be rather be working for another company? And if the answer is no, then you're like, okay, I had a hard day, right? Yeah. But I would still rather be working for this company uh, and, and this team and, and, and this product and, and, and this vision. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's it. It's like what makes you happy and comfortable and, and able to do your, you know, your dream. Yeah. Do your best work. Be authentic and and be self-aware, I think, are the big things. <laughs> awesome. OK, I'm going to move into my four rapid fire questions. The first one of which is what's your wake up song? <laughs> I, I found that funny because I don't really have a wake up song. I have my five year old wakes me up every day. He wakes me up around six or six 30 every day. So, uh, he's very excited to, to wake up. Um, but I think there's uh, a couple songs that come to mind. Uh, one is my shot, uh, from, uh, Hamilton. Uh, mm -hmm. so that always like pumps me up. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to miss my shot. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, and then the second one is actually garden song by Dave Mallet. Uh, it's an older song, but it really talks about, uh, the lyrics like inch, inch by inch, row by row, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to make this garden grow, right? So it's kind of like the startup uh, journey, right? Like it's not overnight, uh, you know, and you just do it, you know, inch by inch, day by day, and you keep going and you lovely harvest it <laughs> at the end. That's awesome. If your 19-year-old self asked you, what, what should I read? What should I listen to? What would you say? Um, I would say a lot of Brene Brown. Uh, it's a lot of self-awareness, a lot of sort of self-empowerment um, and uh, yeah, just like, you know, understanding how you feel, what, what actually is the definition of an emotion, right? Like, and really like shame, right? Like shame, her shame uh, research has been so mm -hmm. um, life-changing for me. That's really yeah. good. Can you recommend a favorite beverage? <laughs> To be honest, I just love plain water. Sometimes I have flavored water or anything in the water. I feel like it's not quenching my thirst. Yeah, I really just like regular water. But yeah, Sansa is really good, by the way. <laughs> That's good. And from a hydration perspective, does it matter if it's plain water or carbonated? Like, can you get hydration from carbonated water in the same way? In general, I think people just drink less of carbonated water because it gets you full. So for me, if I'm really parched, I just need like regular water. But if you're an, uh, you know, an athlete and stuff like that, definitely need some electrolytes. If you're uh, exercising for more than 60 minutes, you need some carbs with those electrolytes. Um, yeah. So, you know, to me, it's like, if I need those, like, 
any of those would, would work. Um, but just day to day, I'm, I'm just a big water drinker. <laughs> I kind of knew you were going to say that. Um, <laughs> and the final question is what should our listeners do tomorrow to help them become dream makers? I think just experiencing things. So meeting lots of different people, traveling, having fun, don't be afraid to do things that you think like, oh, maybe I should be focused on school right now. Go travel abroad, you know, go do all of these things because all of those experiences will build your next endeavor, right? And so I think the more people that you meet, the different cultures, the different backgrounds, the, the way people live, eat different foods, like all of that is going to make you just like such a better person overall that I think, you know, whatever you do after that, I think is, is good. And then also just start, right? Like whatever it is, do the next thing, right? If you don't know what the, the final goal is going to look like, just do the next thing. Inch by inch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you very much. This is a really fun conversation. I enjoyed getting to know you and learning a lot from you. And I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the DreamMakers podcast. You can reach out to me, Neha Sampat, on Twitter at NehaSF, that's N-E-H-A-S-F, with your comments, suggestions, your favorite wake-up song, wine, or DreamMaker woman to know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to DreamMakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human.